sit, enjoy the shade. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Drink the drink that I have made. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Drink in the Style, brought to you by Habitation Design, as well as the District of Dinah. I'm your host, Gregory Rich. I'm going to help you kill uh, maybe Saturday or Sunday, or frankly, it could be like 3 a.m. and you're listening on a pod. Either way, I'm going to help you kill some time. My guest this evening is none other than a return visit from Sarah Davis, Designer at Urban Works Architecture. Hi there. Welcome back, Sarah. How have you been? I've been very, very well. It's have been you? Very busy. It Not has. Last time, just so folks know, last time that Sarah was on the show was literally the last show that we recorded before we shut down for uh, for COVID. Yes. In fact, if if the truth be known. Sarah and my good friend Michelle Aspland were the two people I had to make the call of shame to, <laughs> which, which is absolutely terrible. I had to call because I came down with COVID. I was diagnosed literally the day after the show, and I had to call you up with, like, so much embarrassment and shame. I mean, it was never had to call anyone to tell them I had an STD, but I felt that I now know exactly what it must feel like. Well, and it was early on, so it was kind of the, you know, the mystery of what the symptoms would and how you would feel and whether we were going to get it too. It was it was definitely the dark ages of yeah. COVID. It was the darkest. It was November of 2020, because I remember, because I wound up over Thanksgiving being completely uh, quarantined quarantine for 14, 15 days in my bedroom, mm-hmm. which aside from being sick, we're 14 or 15 of the best days of my life. <laughs> um, no offense, <laughs> but it was so sweet. My mother, would, or my mother, my daughter would bring up, uh, you know, full meals that you know my wife had prepared she'd leave them outside the door and knock and then run like hell <laughs> so that she didn't get sick and i'd open up and it would, she'd occasionally be like a little flower or every now and then there'd be like a manhattan included oh, wow. and to show you how awesome my wife is and how much she looks after me well she would send up the occasional cocktail no matter how much i begged she wouldn't send up full bottles of liquor <laughs> <laughs> she knew 14 days of me alone and a few bottles of liquor would be the very end yep. well we were happy you survived thank you thank you so much and i'm happy you did you never got covid no, at least not for me I didn't i guess that sheet of plexiglass saved us <laughs> it was the covid plexiglass which is still there well done johnson mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, yes. So, and obviously, you weren't too angry because you did come back. So, welcome. We're also joined, just as a general color commentator, if we may, with uh, uh, Carl Peltier, none other. Carl, you haven't been on the show for a little bit. How are you doing? Yeah, it has been well. I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah. And you've survived. You're enjoying the whole winter season. No, not at all. But yeah, I know you hate it. I hate it so much. I'm sitting here with a scarf on, if that tells you anything. He is. Also, he looks at me with absolute hatred because I make him listen to Christmas music for the entire season. (laughs) If I don't show up next week, it's because Carl killed me and (laughs) put my body somewhere. I'm glad you're on. Me too. Thank you. We have a new individual sitting in the Newkirk Coctological Memorial Chair, as we like to call it. We have none other than Hadley from farmer's kitchen and bar hadley how are you i'm good thanks for having me on are you excited absolutely 
<laughs> farmers, talk a little bit about Farmer's Kitchen Bar, because we haven't had anybody from Farmer's on yet. Well, uh, we've been around for about a year. We're in the space right next to the Guthrie Theater, um, so it's a very popular place to stop by before and sometimes after those shows. Uh, just off of, we're like one block away from Washington, a little closer to the river, that uh, Mill Ruins District area. Um, yeah, so we're we're owned by the Farmers Union. Uh, big part of what we do is sourcing everything locally, the very best we can. That transfers all the way through our uh, bar program. So we use Minnesota distilleries, Minnesota breweries, Minnesota wineries, best we can. There's not a whole lot of them. <laughs> You're so lucky. I'm not expanding on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, but good yeah, effort on the Minnesota wineries. Some of those they get their grapes from elsewhere. So you know, we we take liberties to provide a good experience where we can. Well, Farmers is, is fantastic. And again, that kind of locally derived produce and, and alcohol. And of course, you guys have catered a number of events at uh, the District Edina, which is awesome. You guys always do an amazing job. The food is great. Great food. Really, unquestionably. Really so we're happy to have you on, and I'm excited to see what cocktail you are creating. So, Hadley McGrath, tell us what we're drinking. So I picked the classic Sazerac. It's one of my favorite kind of vintage cocktails. Um, you know, dates back to eight, mid-18th century New Orleans. It was kind of, you know, the uh, posh drink at the time. In one of the, the original cocktails. Yep, yep, absolutely. You know, down to the uh, the bitters. That you, It's a very simple cocktail. Um, bitters, syrup. Um, a little bit of a rinse with absinthe. And then uh, the uh, bitters they use are actually, um, the family was a New Orleans family. It's a Creole bitters, Peixotes. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where that came from. And I think that's probably where it maintained its its traction was through the popularity of that drink. So so Creole bitters, though. Creole bitters. Is, uh, how does that differ from your typical Angostura bitters? Well, or? bitters could be pretty much anything. Thank so you. Angostura is kind of its own um, variety and mixes of, of different, you know, herbs and things. Um, Creole bitters are going to be, you know, Creole is your mixture of, of French and African-American kind of Caribbean mm-hmm. uh, sort of cooking styles. So there's a lot of, uh, it is pretty anise heavy. So that's kind of part of those just mild tastes that you like to get with the Sazerac. Um, which I'm a big fan of. And then you also use the absinthe, which is pretty heavy in that flavor too. So just kind of a touch on your good whiskey or good cognac, whatever you prefer to do, um, you know, to not totally destroy the flavor of a, of a good alcohol because we hate doing that. Agreed 100%. Anybody will tell you I get pissed off when you can't taste the actual liquor. Absolutely. And there's nothing I hate more than hiding it behind sugar. Exactly. So you've got, I do want to know, though, the absinthe. Tell me about the level of authenticity in this absinthe. Specifically, is there wormwood or is there not? So there's actually some misnomers behind the whole absinthe thing. Wormwood is actually not what caused it to be illegal. Um, it's a very high-proof liqueur, mm-hmm. and it became illegal because people were just drinking too much and being <laughs> absurdly drunk on the streets. So they blamed it on the alcohol, as people like to do. On the Green Fairy in particular. On the Green Fairy. And mm-hmm. they took it off the shelves, and then everybody found their alternatives, their herb saints. You know, you got 
Anisets and Uzo and so the you're Jägermeister saying that Wormwood has no hallucinogenic value? It's because I've been licking trees for a long time. Minimally <laughs> toxic. In fact, if you were to, you would probably pass out from alcohol poison before you'd start to feel any wormwood effects. Really? Yep. So the green fairy is a myth. Well, just in that you're just getting intoxicated with liquor. Yeah, that works. Um. And it's a it's a fabulous drink. I love I love absinthe in the proper way that it's done. So. Carter Averbeck, who's been a guest on the show a number of times, the first drink that he requested was Death in the Afternoon. Are you familiar with it? I'm unfamiliar with that. It's absinthe and champagne or sparkling wine. So the carbonation gets the absinthe into your system even faster. It is an appropriately named drink. Nice. (laughs) All right. Sounds delicious. Well, Johnson, why don't you hit us up with some of your, your mixing music. Hadley, tell us how to make the Sazerac. So we're going to start off with the Peychaud's bitters. Um, I brought a couple different here because we actually use the Creole bitters at the restaurant, but I'm just going to stick with our standard here. Um, it's kind of preference on the bitters. Um, I'm going to make two at a time here, so I'm going to double it. I, I like to do about three dashes, so we'll do six. And then it's going to be two ounces of rye, and we're actually using um, our Tattersall Farmer's Kitchen collab. Uh, they We had them make a barrel for us, so we are using that in a lot of our cocktails. So really? Grab yeah. it's, it's labeled? I can see it? Can You you can't buy it, though, at Farmer's Kitchen. No. It's reserved um, just for Unfortunately, it's reserved just for us. What but barrel? You can, you're more than welcome to drink it in all of our cocktails. I know our Old Fashioned and our Manhattan at the restaurants uh, use this specifically. Which is fabulous. Uh, do you have a Sazerac on the menu? We don't, but our bartenders are well aware of how to make classic cocktails like that, so we can we can make them. It's not officially on there, but I think since it's so well known, it's not something that we need to tweak or just on there so i would uh, i would expect so and it may be worth going in to farmers and saying i shall have a drink in the style Sazerac. and if you do that i'll send you a gift card for an ottoman <laughs> but i will say Why is you? ottoman always your go-to i don't know i love the word ottoman it's like it's a, two things i've is it just a history thing it probably is. The Ottoman, the Ottoman Empire. Empire was a big player in my historical training. Yeah. All right, so you've got you've got three dashes of the bitters, and then eighth of an ounce. So most people don't have eighth of an ounce even in their jiggers. So I use three quarters of a teaspoon, which is the same thing. Uh, some people I was like told there would be no math. Yeah. Well, we're making drinks. There's always a little bit of math. That's a good point. All right, so you got that in. So. Some people like it a little bit sweeter, but I'm thinking we're all on the same page and staying away from the sweet cocktails. Yes, we are. Sarah, are you a sweet cocktail gal? I usually get one, maybe one sweet, and that's the limit. So if it's like, I mean, maybe it's kind of lowbrow to admit that I do like a good Wisconsin Supper Club style old-fashioned once in a while. I'm sorry, a good what? A good Wisconsin Supper Club um, style, but that's usually on the sweet but it's usually a limited one. And occasionally includes Windsor, I believe. (laughs) I think you're right. (laughs) By the way, the Supper Club, I just have to say, I'm sad to see Supper Clubs disappearing because when we first moved to Minnesota, I loved Supper Clubs. 
There's a new one that just opened in St. Paul. Yeah. But are they authentic? Well, I, I'm going to go check it out. My friend said it was super supper clubby. Which really? Oh, Mr. Paul's. No, that's in the diner. That's, no. It's, um, we'll look it up, but it's, I think it's, it's a tiki I heard about theme. It too. It's, it's heavily like retro tiki theme. Really? Mm-hmm. All right, we should do that. Carl, yep. we got our spot for the uh, Habitation Holiday oh, Party. Oh, perhaps. Perhaps. Okay, all right. It's going to be a long drive to the saloon, but we'll see. <laughs> all right. Yeah, there's a few more kind of opening around town, like Creekside. But if anywhere I have to buy my own gherkin tray, I don't know. I, I think <laughs> that's the line for you. That's the line for me. <laughs> I cut it off at gherkins. <laughs> I don't pay for my gherkins. <laughs> I like to use gherkins as an, as you know people will say they're in a pickle. If it's a small problem, you're not in a pickle. You're in a gherkin. You're in a gherkin. You're in a gherkin. All right. Are you about to? So you have now added uh, the ratios to the uh, yari, if you will. And now you're going to... So now um, I have a little atomizer here filled with the absinthe. A lot of people will just pour the smallest amount of absinthe, rinse it around, and then pour it out. This makes it a little bit easier. You want to do that right before you pour it. Otherwise, so you're atomizing, you're atomizing the, 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 the uh, uh, absinthe. absinthe. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh God! I actually do like that. That would definitely attract the right kind of woman. <laughs> <laughs> so this one goes straight into the glass. Um, no ice in it. And then you're using a uh, potato peeler. It's just a peeler. No need to. <laughs> it could be no used as labels. a standard potato no peeler. I don't want to dis. I don't want to be disrespectful to your peeler. <laughs> I mean, it's a fine peeler. <laughs> it is actually, a fine peeler. He actually very, looks offended. I <laughs> figured very that. sharp. It's a Y peeler, if you will, specifically. Okay, we a all Y like peeler. Here, I understand completely. Forgive me, Hadley. It's, okay. it's a potato peeler. Now, what are we doing with the matches? Yes, now. Well, um, I mean, there's a couple ways to go about this. Some people just express the uh, orange peel garnish directly into it. Sometimes it's nice to get a Smoke onto it. Hmm. So heating up the orange peel. Uh, isn't that fascinating the way it flares? Like if you're doing it right and you're actually getting a, an expression, it should have a little spark when you throw it over the. Uh, right? The oils are flammable. Witchcraft. It is witchcraft. <laughs> Cocktail sorcery. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes a little bit of spark in the presentation. Amen. Amen. And then we're going to be drinking this neat. Neat is the way to go. Always with a Sazerac, and is it generally in the rocks glass, or often, I mean, I've seen it up. Funny you say that. I think the the original production of it was in a... Martini glass, or a coupe. Well, I actually looked into it a little bit. It's a cockatiel, which is like an egg cup. Really? Some people were saying that was the mispronunciation that turned into cocktail. Really? French word, right? So we mispronounce everything. Hmm. So a cockatee is an egg cup. Yeah. And people decided to put a Sazerac in it, yielding potential. Again, it's it's, it's really like an adult Sesame Street. It is so educational. That's how I like to describe the show. You learn so much on drinking the stuff. Maybe adults just figured out that booze is more fun than eggs. 
<laughs> Amen. <laughs> well said. Well said. I mean, we start putting booze in buckets, calling them punch bowls, right? <laughs> it's all it's all the same. Well, I've talked many times about so the, the the history of the 750 milliliter uh, wine bottle became co- became commonplace and standardized in the 18th and early 19th century, essentially as a single serving. It was the original juice box. Uh huh. Really? Yes. So 750 milliliters, 150, 200 years ago, would have been considered what you sit down and have dinner with, or even lunch. So we're not supposed to share our wine with no, a significant did. other. Mm-hmm. That's not. Nope. No. no she no. can have her own damn wine. <laughs> Get your own damn bottle. Once again, I'm so glad my wife doesn't listen to the show. I, I, <laughs> saved me so many problems. But okay, so we have the cocktail uh, prepared for two. Sarah, you and I are going to give it a quick oh, try. We're gonna. And Johnson, you're ready with the swallowing music. Here we go. It's such a good drink. It's such a good drink. That's a good drink. You don't right? need clanking ice cubes or giant orb of <laughs> fancy ice in there. It's just very nice. Agreed. It so. How would you, I mean, would you just say not too sweet? If you go in, you want to order a Sazerac, but you don't want to have sugar water, do you just, how would a bartender express I that? I feel like depending on what type of drink you're ordering, they're going to kind of cater to the sweetness. If you're like, I need a margarita, they're probably going to hook it up with some sugar. But if you're ordering an old-fashioned and you just like want it as is, or a Sazerac is not typically a sweet drink. Mm-hmm. I don't know where you've been with her. I haven't what had a Sazerac in a long time, but it, it, my recollection was that it had a certain, a certain amount of sweetness to it. But it didn't, so we'll just go and I'll be sure to I ask for... I think we've her. had our ebbs and flows of preferences in cocktails. Used right. to be really sweet, used to be really dry. Kind of goes back and forth. Amen. And nowadays, it's basically sugar water with something to get you drunk as quickly as you possibly you can, which breaks my heart, but not for my listeners. You're not well, into Hadley, Red that Bulls is... and vodka? That's Pardon? Not... Red Bull and vodka is not your <laughs> Way too old for that. That said, we do at 3.30. Generally do. Carl, mm-hmm. our... Uh, whiskey espresso shot? Our whiskey espresso mm-hmm. shot. I just leave out the espresso, though. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why he worked me I for eight come years. Work with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fabulous. It's a great three thirty pickup. You just do a quick shot of espresso, quick shot of whiskey, fifty fifty, slam it. It'll get you to five six o'clock whenever your workday ends with smile. You're and welcome. productivity or not so much productivity. <laughs> Well, as I've often said, I'm an insanely high productivity alcoholic, um, so I really pick it up right afterwards. The rest of you people have your own problems to deal with. Mm-hmm. I think that sounds like I'm gonna. Have, I'm not quite sure how that will go over at my office. But I'm always willing to give it a try. Yes, yes. try it. Try it. I, uh, let me know how it goes from your next job. Um, right. <laughs> All right. Well, Hadley, this is a great Sazerac. Sweet, not sweet. This one isn't bad at all. And it is absolutely delicious. So thank you. It's a beautiful color. And it, it, there's enough sweetness to kind of just tone just, down the heat a little bit, the burn. It's like it, it's very smooth. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed completely. Mm-hmm. It's somehow the expression and the, and the, the orange seems to mm-hmm. balance it. Yeah. All right. Well, Sarah, mm-hmm. you may want to speak at some point during the show. 
Um, I'm happy with my cocktail. <laughs> just sit quietly while I ramble in the yeah. corner. I can live with that. <laughs> Tell us about Urban Works. Again, you've been on the show, but run through us again, through it again. Well, Urban Works focuses mainly on multifamily housing. So although we do residential, it's on a large scale. All those buildings that are going up, it seems like on every corner, we're part to blame for that. But you, know, <laughs> but you make them pretty. Yeah, we, you know, we were lucky, especially going into the pandemic, that you know, people still need places to live. And whereas people had, you know, massive layoffs and, you know, having trouble with, you know, especially those in the hospitality market, restaurant market, mm-hmm. corporate market, uh, we were, you know, the cogs were still already turning, projects were already going, and we were busy right through mm-hmm. the pandemic. So, uh, you know, I kind of always joked that you'd see the news stories about people you know, trying yoga classes and baking sourdough bread and all <laughs> these things. And I, as I'm like chained to my desk in my basement next to my furnace, it's like, I, I want to bake some bread. <laughs> but there was no bread baking for us. But, um, yeah, we basically were able to kind of just float through that uh, fairly successfully. Which is great to hear. So. And now as we've come out on the other side, the building boom continues, the correct? The building boom continues. And it's continuing in different places. I mean, the whole work where you live, live where you work model has kind of been shattered. I mean, now with the remote hybrid workplace, you don't need to live in close proximity to your office if you have an office at all. And so mm-hmm. where everything used to be concentrated, very central, lo- located to downtown, first tier uh suburbs you know we're doing a lot of progress in further out suburbs like lake elmo Mm -hmm. victoria Mm -hmm. rosemount Mm -hmm. i mean those are places that weren't necessarily top of mind Mm pre-pandemic i think that the developers have decided well people just can live anywhere and work from anywhere and so you're going to be able to see some of that higher density moving a little farther out and creating kind of their own little Downtown, so where the development starts, you might get a more modern main street of development to support all those people who are living a little farther out. So we're going to have a little different instead of just the urban or suburban sprawl of single family homes, there mm-hmm. will be kind of clusters of density I in have different been areas. Noticing a lot of multifamily housing going up in places that you would never see 10, 20, 30 years no, ago. No, right. So when you're doing those types of development, so people tend to live further out because they want their yard or their space and things like that. How are you compensating for that? Are you finding that there's more common space that's needed, or is it simply a matter of people still want to get be aggregated? Yeah, I mean, there was. It's been a little bit full circle. When I first started working in multifamily, almost every apartment unit had like little built-in desk. <laughs> and you know, a little you know, a little laminate desk that kind yep. of extended off the kitchen. Yep. And as we went into the 2000, 2010s, they all just got smaller and smaller. The desks went away. The units got, you know, basically embellished dorm rooms. I mean, five hundred square feet, four hundred mm-hmm. square feet. You know, we started calling them micros, and they were they were leasing up. I mean, full buildings of tiny little micro units. I remember Carl, you and I were. Well, Very we did involved in yeah. a couple, right? Yeah, we well, we worked on platform 
right together, right. and that was that tiny little micro unit. Tiny little and micro units. We were man- we were able to fit a lot in there, but I. It takes a certain type of person to be able to live in one of those spaces. And the accommodation would be, of course, extended living spaces yeah. in the amenities. So that, and that continues to be a trend. But even with those extended living spaces and the amenities, uh, you know, lounges and community kitchens, you know, if people are working in their spaces, they want a little bit more elbow room. Mm-hmm. And those, those funny little desks, mm-hmm. they're kind of coming back. I know. And... People want pets. They want pets in their lives because they don't have to commute every day. And so room for just a little bit, you know, those micros are now turning into the one-plus dens. And the people who had the one-plus dens now want the two bedrooms. Everyone wants to just have a little bit more grace in their life. Because if you're home, you have to have some wandering around. Now, like, so my nephew lives in New York City with his fiance, and there's been a huge shift to work from home, even in New York City. But New York apartments are tiny. Yes. Absolutely yep. tiny. So you need to have some forethought on the space and how you're going to use it. Mm-hmm. And you're integrating that even in the more distant, larger units. Are the units, like, outside of, of the downtown area generally much larger? It kind of depends a little bit on the demographic that they think they're going to appeal to. Mm-hmm. Um, but they definitely are a little bit larger. I mean, obviously, any developer is going to want to get the best return on their investment and utilize every square foot to its fullest and try to get as many folks they can kind of share that space. But, you know, there's going to be a lot more people who want the one bedroom for themselves and the other bedroom for their office. Mm-hmm. And... Also, too, just now, if they're going to stay at home, those outdoor amenities used to just be for outdoor lounging. Well, now they're for working, too. And so to make sure that everybody has some shade to hide their, you know, to kind of keep their laptops cool and have all the kind of electrical and data plugins that they have, you know, might want right there at their fingertips, even outside. Because if you remember, for a long time, I mean, before we had vaccinations, too, people just liked that outdoor space to gather. Mm-hmm. I lived on my deck for yeah. that, that spring, summer, fall of COVID. Right. And obviously, our seasons are short yeah. here. But mm-hmm. if you can extend that that safe way to gather as a group yep. or to work, um, just extending that those that work-live type of experience into the outdoors, that's been very popular as well. Yeah, that's actually brilliant. I hadn't thought at all about that. But uh, you're right. People do want to be outside and still need to be checking in with work from time to time. I I was on my laptop outside (laughs) on my deck. Thank you. Once again, if only we were on TV and you could see Carl's <laughs> I wasn't slamming you, I swear. <laughs> but what about, so So you're seeing an expansion, kind of a diaspora of multifamily housing that's, that's being built. What about within the city of Minneapolis? Well, we were just downtown in kind of the city center fairly recently to meet with people for lunch. And to we decided to walk along the street. It was a nice day. And it was a, it was still a little unsettling. There's just not the critical mass that you're accustomed to. Mm-hmm. That that energy, the just the bustle. Mm-hmm. Um, the folks that were there were just kind of hanging out, yeah. just you know. And there were just a few 
And so that vibrancy is still missing in that, you know, central business district. Mm-hmm. Um, we happen to work in the North Loop, and North Loop, on the other hand, is thriving. Mm-hmm. Right, it's so it's great, in right? pockets. I never thought for a million years I would see baby carriages being strolled down Washington Avenue. Because <laughs> <laughs> I lived there post-grad in the 90s in that area, and there was nothing except for maybe bunkers and yeah. cuzzies. And that was... And, you a couple know, strip clubs. Right, exactly. Yeah. And now it's like, people are having kids mm-hmm. in this neighborhood? <laughs> it's amazing to me. And just it's the my amount weird of... generation. Yeah, it's the amazing um, of people... Walking dogs, and I would say out of the dog walkers, you know, eight out of ten are like women. So it, obviously, it's a neighborhood that people feel safe living in, and really? and so you will see it's just pockets, but those pockets are shifting a little bit. But unfortunately, right now, the center of downtown is still struggling. Completely dead. And of course, we don't even need to talk about uptown, which is such a terrible shame. Frankly, I think uptown. If it's going to be resurrected, and eventually it will, is I think it should go with multi with multifamily housing rather than a retail focus. I mean, have you? I think ter- is it nostalgia you, that we want retail focus? I mean, we just you know, do we want the uptown that we knew and loved, but now we just can't really have anymore? It's well, just I was the same. I've always been super irritated with the accessibility of uptown in the retail. It's either the parking is ridiculous and getting worse because the city has removed street parking yep yep i i don't know i don't know what is going to happen with uptown but i don't know i was sitting down there i was down at uh stella's cafe Mm -hmm. the late stella's cafe which of course closed down um great spot it's a shame without a doubt but one mouse and suddenly you're uh terrible is that what Um, happened yeah, should I not? I, uh, yeah, no, somebody that wasn't all of it. <laughs> yeah, that well, was I mean, it was it was everything uptown is closing because no one will yep. go down there in in general, which I don't quite understand because I mean it seems fine to me, but yeah, New York experience, I suppose. But yeah, there was a terrible uh, uh, fiasco where apparently a rat. Uh, oh, a rat. Oh, yes. Yeah. They're rats. They're everywhere. Yeah, and there was one that got into the front window, and somebody oh, took a picture no. of it. Oh, End of story, no, which is a shame because they were a folks. fabulous place, insanely good food, etc. But So I'm down there having a drink before they go out of business, and I'm looking up and down and thinking, this, these are like perfect brownstones, potentially. And, you know, you could completely and totally revitalize this into kind of a mini warehouse type of a space. Am I off? Am I wrong? You're the expert. You come from a family of architects and designers. Well, there's a, there is a lot of discussion right now about converting all these empty office buildings into housing. You know, people don't need the office space, but they still need places to live. Mm-hmm. Right now, the jury is a little out on one of those. If those numbers really work, um, there's certainly challenges with converting office space into housing. They can be really deep floor plates, so you don't have natural light reaching the you know the back ends of your mm-hmm, apartment unit mm-hmm. and things like that. Going back but into I, a tenement situation, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of creative thought going into how to reuse these existing buildings into spaces that people need mm-hmm. more than you know if they don't need office space, if you don't need the retail. How do, how do we get that converted? But Indeed. It usually course, happens with tax credits, which is kind of hard to do. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm amazed at actually how many multifamily buildings are still going up. 
I just I, it doesn't compete with me that that many people that many people yeah. are renting at and at those prices. Is there a glut at the high end? There does seem to be everybody rushing towards the top. I mean, expo pen, pen, uh, penthouses are mm-hmm. what twelve thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think? Well, I think that there's you know certainly a market of people who want to live the good life in the sense that they want the space, they want the everything outfitted. They would have a a normal home, Mm -hmm. but they don't want to take care of the lawn. They don't want to deal with all that. Or maybe they want to snowbird and turn the door and lock it and fly away to a sunny climb for the winter. We we did a penthouse um, model unit at Expo, and she said majority of her tenants that are renting um, are only there three months out of the year. And it may not be their only property. Yeah. Right? They probably have it all over the place. And maybe this one happens to be close to the grandkids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they, you know, they only come for a little while. Obviously, that's not all instances. But I think even as a designer, I'm still surprised at, you know, comparing my mortgage to the rent that some are willing to spend um, Mm -hmm. without having the equity, you know, in return. Precisely. And especially as we're coming out of the era of insanely, absurdly low interest rates, mm-hmm. it's very hard to match a rent against, you know, if for no reason other than a commercial, you know, loan is going to adjust every five years. So every five years, those apartments are going to get more expensive as things continue, whereas people have locked in on a condo or a house are generally going to become more competitive. But of course, those days are gone. So it doesn't matter, does it? No. there's also a lot to be said for being again so what do you think about this we've been talking about office and people not going into the office and being Mm -hmm. at home we're still humans we still are pack critters unquestionably do you think there's a move towards multifamily to replace the office so that you do have that kind of interaction even if it's not nine to five and people that you may or may not have anything in common with? Well, the, you know, it's a good point. One thing that was really difficult for me to live from or work from home was to not have that social interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there are people mm-hmm. who thrive in protectivity, you know, by themselves, but I feel I'm that it was not working. <laughs> I, as soon as we, op- you know, quote unquote, opened the office, I was right back up, back there commuting every day. But yeah. I kind of thrive on that social outlet. But I think that, you know, I, I've never really lived in a high-density building myself. Well, there's it's, no hiding if you get in a bad interaction with them. Yeah, they know there's, where you live. I mean, other than <laughs> yeah. true, shutting your door, that's your privacy. As soon as you walk out, you know, go get your mail, you're going to be seen. Go take out your trash, you're going to be seen. Like, you might have to talk to somebody. Like, I don't know. And I lived in a very small five-unit building um, in St. Paul for seven years, and that was even too even much. Five units, even five units. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a level though of of closeness, like a five unit building. At least if you're in like a large multifamily type of thing, you've got tons of people you don't know who are just random strangers. Oh yeah, yeah. that you can simply say hello to and feel like you know. Yeah. It's like walking on your way to the the company cafeteria and you say ho, say hi to 
you know, some guy from accounting. Yeah. It serves a certain purpose of interaction, mm-hmm. but it's not a personal interaction the way it would be in a five-person space. Oh, yeah. It's, we all knew each other in all of our problems. It was... <laughs> yeah. Thin and walls, yes, too, maybe? Yes. Old building, thin walls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is another question. Is that something... I mean, when you're doing a multifamily project, how much time and effort is spent considering a certain level of privacy, a certain level of insulation? Has it increased? Well, I'm not quite sure how much it's increased, but we've already, always been very sensitive to that transfer side to side and top to bottom of mm-hmm. sound. And those types of assemblies of the walls and the floors are really designed, you know, at minimum to meet code requirements, plus maybe a little bit above and beyond if the developers really, like, uh, this is a building. I'm going to own it for 30 years. I don't want any complaints. I really want to go to the nth degree to make sure people are really comfortable. Yep. Um, so that has always been kind of always a standard, a gold standard, I guess you could say. Hmm. But uh, the privacy component, you know, often the doors are offset in the corridors. So if you open your door you won't have be looking straight into somebody else's or I mean, that happens in most instances. Sometimes it doesn't always work out that way, but again, they get a little visual privacy yeah. that you don't yep. have to like face one another just side to side, there, which is door to door. Something. Do you, right. do you, were you a Seinfeld fan by the way? Just speaking I was of privacy. A Seinfeld, yes. Do you remember the reverse people? I don't. <laughs> you don't oh, remember man. the reverse? Kramer, Kramer took his people and he turned it the other way around so that he could <laughs> so look inside could see to him. see if anyone was waiting to attack him. <laughs> it is kind of brilliant if you think about that. Uh, it is. But, okay, so we talked a little bit about a change in function. Now, your role is design. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not architecture per se, but obviously you're working hand in hand through that. What design changes, aside from additional functionality, are you seeing? Is there any kind of change in colors? Is there any kind of change in that aspect? I think that, you know, with the pandemic and people being quarantined, I mean, it was kind of difficult not to have this nesting quality to you. You know, people were really focused. You know, that's why, you know, remodelers and everyone's like, I've been staring at these drapes for four years. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, just the idea to even get a contractor to make an update in your home was almost impossible because that's what people were focusing on. And so mm-hmm. there was this kind of internal focus on your environment. And, you know, there was the era of the gray on gray on gray. And that <laughs> kind yes. of went away. I mean, people... But what's replaced it from that perspective? I think it's a more... I mean, I hate to say the B word brown but hmm. let's call it cocoa let's call it wheat let's call it cinnamon. <laughs> we can call it what you want but it's brown we're seeing you know warmer that warmth warmer. come in yep. right and those neutrals that were very chilly gray yep. have turned a little bit warmer and with that you know still the brass adding the copper the matte black but the chrome and the stainless steel I mean, even when it comes to appliances, you might have a black stainless steel or something that's kind of more of a gunmetal color. But there's definitely those chilly tones have, I think, kind of subsided. And we're doing the best we can looking into, you know, the crystal ball because it will take, you know, three years by the time I put a pencil 
to the paper to seeing it be installed. And that's kind of like, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's, let's take a gamble. Yeah, let's see yeah. if we'll roll the dice and see if it sticks three <clears throat> years later. And that's always the challenge is try to be a little bit ahead of the curve instead of behind it. Unquestionable. But just those, um, you know, the word biophilia gets thrown around all the time. So anything to do with nature it's it's a little bit of an overkill word mm-hmm. but but it's legitimate it's legitimate people mm-hmm. want to have those natural elements and so whether it's woven rattans and natural woods and handmade tile that looks kind of has a little imperfection and not everything is so uniform and machined mm-hmm. so you have a little bit of that um irregularity but that irregularity and regularity in the product seems a little bit more familiar and a little bit more forgiving and authentic right through there i have a theory on tell me your thoughts on this so back in let's say the 70s the fake brick wall everybody loved the fake brick wall it was amazing and in the 60s of course you had the faux wood on the end in the 80s you know there's always been this effort at 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 creating some kind of duplication of natural experience and it always fails within five six years because there's an inherent pattern in anything that is produced by man. There's just no way around it. And eventually your mind begins to pick that up. A brick, fake brick wall might look real at first, but eventually your brain identifies the pattern in it. There's no way to identify it otherwise. So by using natural products, you're bypassing that entire concept. Does that seem true to you? Hmm. Well, I definitely am not a... Fan of faux brick. I definitely <laughs> don't. Because I've always described you that way, Sarah Davis. I faux can't say I've ever used faux brick in any of my projects. But you know, there's. I think that just the idea, idea that it's a, yeah, a genuine product, you know, and those those kind of regular products can be foiled with something very minimalist, neat, tailored. <laughs> mm-hmm. But at least if there's just something <clears throat> within the composition that feels original original or a little imperfect Mm -hmm. um i think that that's been a a big appeal um and not so you know the the true industrial look of kind of the downtown lofts i think that's all softened a little bit people even if you have an exposed duckwork ceiling you still want to have something that just feels a little warmer and a little bit more accommodating and Mm -hmm. it's and it's it's your it's your home even if, if it is a warehouse building yep it has not. I mean, it, there is nothing that is. Well, I don't know if I was going to. I was going to say there's nothing that is universally, consistently worthwhile or, or, or beloved, right? Like the the open warehouse, you know, wood beam lumber exchange building type mm-hmm. of thing was so. It felt so natural and so organic and things. And now, after a period of time, it's just it's just not that same experience. That said, there are certain things that are eternal. What? Certain levels of, of of finishing or experience that that seem to transcend time. Do you agree with that? And if so, what do you think it might be? Well, I feel like I'm on a job interview here. I know, right? I'm so. so this is what happens when we freeform a show, guys. If anyone is listening to this that can actually help us out, we are doing a different type of show today. Normally, we are in studio. We are doing the show by segments, and I'm very prepared. Here, what we're doing is a free-form, one-hour conversation 
that Johnson is going to break into pieces uh, to fit the standard format. So if anybody would be kind enough to send me an email, greg, G-R-E-G, at habitationdesign.com, to let me know what your thoughts are on this new format, I'd be grateful. Otherwise, i got to wait and see if I lose listeners, and by then it's too damn late because I can't come back. Hey, did I give you a little bit of time to think about your answer? Well, I was just thinking maybe we should talk about more cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> but there are certain things. I mean, and it generally has to do with balance and things. Like, you know, like Greek. I mean, architecture, Roman architecture was all about balance and symmetry and things like that, and it has always remained popular. You don't see houses being built like that, though. Thank God. You see, you see people going to admire the existing, but you're not having anyone building a, you know, a Grecian style. Well, other than that crazy woman, the house of Versailles, you know, whatever that like woman that is, like the house out by me in in yeah. Minnetonka that we refer yeah. to as the White Castle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I anyone that says you know. That's a timeless design. Yeah, but it's going to go in and out of trends. It's a, it's a word that's requested an awful lot. Yeah, I, I want really something want timeless. It to be timeless. Well, okay, it's going to be great for 10 years, it's going to be bad for 30, and then it'll be great in another 10 years. Like, okay. that, that's, that's timeless. I mean, you I can guess. wait it out. That's the thing. Yeah, no, no, I hear you on, on that. It's true. I mean, People... look, at, look at clothing right now. 90s. Yes. Like mom jeans. And it's... Every 30 years, it just comes back. Trends. Everything generally does. Architecture as well. Hadley, like you're I was great. saying with the cocktails and the sweetness, it seems like we stray away. Mm-hmm. Then we come back. Like it's I've been human seeing That's like the bottom line. 80s influence in design lately. It has been with this almost a little bit of Memphis influence, a little kind of 80, how, you know, Art Deco was a bit of an yep. influence in the 80s, and now this kind of Deco is kind of coming back a little yep. bit. The Terrazzo... Yes, you know, Trazo. Yep. Although mm-hmm. someone was saying that's out already, so I guess maybe I can <laughs> think about that. You like the the speed at which we're train changing those trends mm-hmm. has well, increased with the speed of everything else these in days. In the Midwest, gets it, you know, a little later, two three years later yeah. after it originally comes out on either of the coasts. Which so. is the beauty of living in the Midwest. You can literally predict the future. Just go to New York, go to Los <laughs> yeah. Angeles, right. exactly. and you know what's going to happen. And it's, it's difficult because obviously the developers are in competition with developments right down the street. Mm-hmm. And everyone is looking to differentiate themselves, uh, make themselves a little bit more memorable on the walkthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be challenging to come up with something very different every single time. Yeah. You know, you're doing the same amenities, the same. I mean, how many times can you redo a unit kitchen in an, event, in an apartment to make it look different and fresh yeah, and yeah. new, <laughs> yeah. but you're still working with the same components? So that it kind of, that's what kind of keeps me up at night is what do I do next? It's mm-hmm. because of the deadlines. Same with any artistry, you know, you can create things on your own terms, but we all have deadlines. Yeah. You have and to budgets. speed up that. And, and budgets. budgets. Yeah. God the, damn the, the creative budgets. process yeah. is very much hindered by all those things right. there's definitely parameters and you know i think it's if i didn't have any parameters it would be very difficult but obviously budget can we get it right now of course supply chain mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. can limit mm-hmm. what we're able to do and get in a timely fashion or if something's just exorbitantly overpriced now more than it used to be i mean everything everything we touch now costs more than yeah. 
it used to. Yep. Yeah. And the, you know, our job isn't, you know. So you've got, have you seen, I mean, are developers conscious of this still? Because for a period of time, I think, you know, one of the few nice things about COVID that came out, and there have been some nice things, I'm not going to lie to you, but. Tell me one. Uh, people understand waiting oh, better. Yes, I, I agree. That used to be people. There's a, still people that uh, don't uh, get it. Of course. But people yeah. have now become familiar with what supply chain means. You know, nobody had thought about it before. If we had said, if we said three years ago, the sofa is going to take 12 weeks, people were bent out of shape. That's mm-hmm. absurd. Now, 26 weeks, yeah. they can understand everything yeah. is backed up. Yeah. So there's one good thing that came that, that is, has been the one positive if things are just you know when things are just out of our control mm-hmm. there's a they're not they understand now that it's it's really out of our control and Indeed. if it's not going to arrive for another 12 weeks then and they can then they get just, it they get it when they get it the other good thing that came out of covid by the way is that people are generally day drinking <laughs> well, we're, we're keeping that more acceptable. Rolling. Yeah. Hey, the sun's going world. down. It's hey, right. sun is going down. I'm I know. It's wintertime. You can drink a little earlier, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Agreed. So you brought up an interesting thing, though. Let me ask you, and this is a bit of a gear shift. If you could do the design of any project, any type of project outside of uh, multifamily or what have you, what would you want to do? My dream design project, you're asking? Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. It's people will say, well, would you ever want to design your like your own home from scratch? And, you know, just from the from the foundation up, I think that would be so intimidating because I know of so many options and possibilities. Oh I God. think it would almost be paralyzing. Just to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, back... Back in the earlier portions of my career, I did more hospitality design, restaurants, bars, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I do miss a little bit of that. If I can incorporate a speakeasy into any of my <laughs> projects, I do my best to yeah. do that. And we've yeah, done that. you did. We've done that. Yep. So that type of <laughs> space that brings people together and relax and just pause a little bit, like you know, I'm going to have to come and see you, Hadley, at your bar. Because it's just really, it's such a special place to be able to have people just kind of put their worries on pause for a little bit. And the lighting makes everyone look Mm -hmm. good. I was going to ask, what do you think is the most important part? And And it is, it's lighting, right? And so those are the spaces I I kind of miss designing. The home away from home places. Mm -hmm. I mean, but you do get a chance to integrate some of that into kind of the common spaces and things. But it's still not quite the same. It's not quite the same when the business model isn't focused on, yeah, that type of experience. I mean, it really is an experience, especially, I mean, we've all been in those lounges and bars, even when it comes to local, but especially when you're traveling and, you know, you just need to re-energize a little bit and you find a little hole in the wall, little cocktail lounge, Mm -hmm. and there's a, a lovely bartender who is there to have wonderful conversation and you those are the types of spaces that i remember when i travel and i just think those are kind of a little bit magical which is so bizarre though because again talking about everything being cyclical all of those were wiped away by the american infatuation with you know uniformity we don't want to go to jimmy's dinner house we want to go to perkins 
And, you know, now we're getting a chance to get back to that on more of an individual basis. Although it's really on kind of a more of a mass reproduced basis. So I think I'm off on the wrong tangent, aren't Mm, I? No. Well. I think a lot of those big chain companies um, you're seeing starting to go away. And you're seeing more boutique places like Farmer's Kitchen kitchen Bar. And, I mean, we have an amazing restaurant scene. Uh, in Minneapolis, Local, yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Totally great. Totally great. Um, I think I think people want a little more unique stuff. It's interesting, though. Like for instance, Minneapolis St. Paul magazine just recently had their best of issue, mm-hmm. and they will highlight the editors will highlight these like wonderful places to eat, drink, explore, and mm-hmm. you're like, these are just fabulous examples of creative entrepreneurs who you know, put together a wonderful business. And then you look at like the people's choice (laughs) and it's a vast contrast. And then I'm not saying it's quite Perkins, but it's pretty darn close. You know, when it comes to like favorite restaurants, you're like, really? That's (laughs) That's your favorite favorite restaurant? (laughs) Even though there's just all these amazing places to try and sample. So I think, you know, the editors are certainly on to something. And we just have to catch everybody up to that. Minnesotans are really picky, too. Yeah. Like, we we don't like to explore new foods. It, it, at least a lot of people I know growing up in Minnesota, there's a lot of... I just went out to dinner with somebody, and both of them, it was her friend's birthday, and both of them had to research the menu before... <laughs> To know what they're going to get, to see, to see if there's anything on the menu that they would eat, <laughs> and I was like, I've never done that in my life. I, I, I but it takes a certain personality yes. type, and I know those types of personalities. And they went with the baked and mac and cheese, a little oh, and like I had sad. the most amazing mac and cheese. Yeah, baked mac and cheese. That's what they went with. <laughs> Out of like uh, the uh, sirloin the steaks, menu? and like I had the amazing what's the. Uh, Pasta that's made out of potatoes with gnocchi. No, not that one. It's a different one. Orzo? No. It's not gnocchi. It's not gnocchi. It's it's spatula. Yes, yes. Like amazing. Okay. And and she's like, nope, baked macaroni, please. (laughs) And I'm just like, okay, like you're you're 27. You're an adult. Like you can expand. Your palate a little bit. Not even a lobster in the mac and cheese to make it grow there's, up? No. There's okay, a word for that that I discovered because I've previously just like working with a couple em, uh, employees and just like trying to understand why as a 25-year-old you can only eat pizza, yeah. mac and cheese, yeah. and chicken tenders. Yeah. And there's a psychological a word for it. Child. What is it? Food neophobia. The fear of trying. Fear. Yeah. Of new food. And really? it's... It you know there's a good percentage of it, but I like to cater to the ones that are adventurous. They used know, to be a place in to Wyzetta. relate to those people. Maybe you remember it. What was the, there was a place in Wyzetta that that prided itself on having an unusual special every Friday for the weekend, like alligator or something along those lines. Mm. And I remember I was there with my wife once, and I ordered the elk. Mm. The first bite of the elk was fabulous. The second bite of the elk was a little gamey. And the third <laughs> bite of the elk was something that, frankly, I'm only eating if I couldn't hunt anything more tasty down. And Christina made the point. She said, I'm simply not going to eat anything that I'm not accustomed to eating at this point in my life. Your brain just doesn't do it. That's neophobia. Fair. I don't know. That said, 
the best the best gnocchi that you could find or no spasel spasel yeah was at is at the uh, Black Forest Cafe exactly what I was thinking yeah this was Arte and the Peacock Lounge in Northeast oh oh all right I had never been there it was wonderful I haven't been to the Black Forest in a while but was there baked mac and cheese good. I didn't try it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was life-changing. Their pork belly, or their pork cheek was amazing. Guanciale. Yes. Too funny. Well, nice. all right. We are coming to the end of this particular program. And, Sarah, I'm not going to forget to ask you to do a little bit of plug uh, for for you guys. Where do people learn more about your work? Well, you can go to urban-works. Urban Don't forget the dash works. or a hyphen. Com, urban-works.com. What happens if you go to urbanworks.com? It's not a porn site, is it? Mm, not that I know, <laughs> but you never know. And um, we, it's kind of like we're kind of the Ron Meshbesher of multifamily, and my, <laughs> my, my owners are going to hate that I say this. <laughs> we we kind of do one thing and we do it well. Do you remember yes. those? Old I do, yes. Specializations in porn. Yes, right. So you want to have it done right and on budget and on time um, and have some creative fun with it, You're give me a call. Yeah. I'm happy to talk to you. What's the, the most or soon-to-be uh, newest opened product? Project. Oh boy, we've got a lot going on. And keep in mind, we do everything from luxury to market to affordable and supportive. Mm. So one of my kind supportive? of favorite projects I'm working on right now is in North Minneapolis um, for Beacon Housing and PPL, and it's for folks who are transferring right from homelessness into kind of their mm-hmm. first stable housing. So we like to create places safe fun places for kids to grow up too so it it you know we talk a lot about the fancy amenities and the speakeasies behind the sliding door and things like that but there's certainly plenty of room for um a good clean safe functioning home for people who need it and we do that as well Absolutely fabulous. Well, you're a great company. You do great work. It uh, is a delight to have you back on the program. Thank you. Congratulations on all the exciting things that happened during COVID. (laughs) Yes. Well, yes, it was exciting. And uh, let's just say I was happy to keep my job (laughs) during COVID. That was good. Fair enough. All right. Well, there it is, my friends. We have drunk our way through yet another hour. On behalf of Habitation Design, the District of Dinah, and Urban Works, in addition to Farmer's Kitchen and Bar, I'd like to wish everybody good luck this week. And I'm going to leave you with a quote off kind of the top of my head from John Locke. That which you fear is that which controls you. Good night, everybody.